Hey there, I'm Heather Mulder, a former AmLaw 100 partner who just five years into my legal career found myself teetering on the edge of burnout. So that I didn't become yet another attorney burnout statistic, I decided it was time to redefine success from the inside out. Fast forward a few years and it worked. I had a thriving legal career balanced with a fulfilling life. What I learned is that you can achieve the success you want without sacrificing yourself in the process. And I'm on a mission to help you do exactly that. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and succeed in both law and life. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Well, hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Life in Law Podcast. This is your host, Heather Mulder. And today we have a guest, Katie Lip, who is the founder of two businesses. One is a law firm, Lip Law, where she focuses on HR and business law for companies, executives, and education professionals in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. And her other company is a coaching practice for lawyers called Law Practice Queen. And that focus is on empowering, educating, and connecting female lawyers who want to grow their law practices with more clients and revenue. Welcome, Katie. Thanks, Heather. Really appreciate you having me. Well, I'm really excited to have you on because when we first talked, and remind me, but I think we met on LinkedIn. Yes. Uh, Like a lot of my guests, I made them on LinkedIn. We end up with a coffee chat. We get to know one another. And I'm like, oh, you need to be on the podcast. And so I think that's how it happened. And I remember you talking about uh, scaling and how scaling, you just, you get really excited about it. And I'm like, okay, A, I don't find a lot of people who get excited about it, especially lawyers. (laughs) B, lawyers aren't typically good at that. And C, I don't think I've had anybody on the show to talk about it. So I was like, oh, you got to come on and talk about this today. Yes, so yes, let's do, let's do the expansion <laughs> thing. It's fun. <laughs> so, okay. But before we get into the topic of the day, I'd love to start with, you know, you're a practicing lawyer and how long have you been practicing? 13 years. 13 years. Okay. So what made you want to become a lawyer in the first place? Was this something you always wanted or did you kind of like get into it by happenstance or what, what is your story on that? There is, a, there is a, you know, it's always like a few different things, but okay. So I did my undergraduate in psych, in psychology, and I was trying to decide, do I go into psych and get a PhD and do I go to law school? So PhD is five years, law school, three years. Point one for law school. Okay. Um, uh, how how uh, many job opportunities would I have at the time? I was like, oh, I'll have way more job opportunities as a lawyer. <laughs> and then I graduated in 2010, which, wow. uh, as you know, and probably many of your listeners know, was not a great time to be getting a job. I did get one though, which was good. Um, but that ended up not being true. But of course, we don't have a crystal ball. I also went to law school to impress my parents, which I mission accomplished. They are so very impressed. That's hilarious. <laughs> don't recommend doing doing your career choice based on pleasing your parents. But that was definitely a reason. It was like I had to get a higher degree of some sort. And so it's like, you know, let's make sure I do one of those things. And I think I ended up making it to the same destination because I do HR law, which I wanted to do industrial organizational or IO psych, which is workplace psychology. So like lots of similarities there. So when you kind of 
piece together the steps of your life backwards, you're like, oh, okay, like I, I'm where I need to be right now. And that's, that's good. So I think we all get caught up a lot on like, am I doing the right thing? Like, what should my next step be? Like, we kind of do that, like double Dutch move, like to use like a jump roping reference where we're like, ah, like which, and it's like, we can't, we can't mess it up. It's okay. Like take the pressure off. But I'm sure a lot of your listeners too, are like me, like, I am high anxiety, perfectionistic, uh, and as much as I try to relax and not be myself, (laughs) you know, it is kind of my natural proclivity law school. I, you know, I took a year off in between college and law school. My parents like had a meltdown over that. They're like, Oh, that's bad. And now I'm like, everybody's taking a gap year now, even like after (laughs) high school. Um, so I think we've chilled out a little bit generationally, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I went to law school. I enjoy being a lawyer. Uh, I like the chance to use my brain every day independently. Like I don't have to, I'm an introvert. So I love just working independently. That is a really great fit for me personally. And, um, and I like helping people, you know, I, mm. that's a good feeling. So HR law, I get to, you know, go into like a very sticky situation in the workplace and, and, you know, tell a company and advise them, like, here's how you can terminate an employee who has a mental illness, or here's how you can terminate someone who's already made a claim against your company without getting sued. You know, like those really difficult, squishy terminations are kind of where I shine. I like the counseling aspect of it. So if I didn't go into law, I would have gone into psychology. And who knows what the future holds, but I don't you think I'm know. Done any more school. <laughs> I think I'm done with that. <laughs> yeah, well, I find it interesting, though, because most people who go to law school either go one of three ways, by accident, because they didn't get a degree that they felt like they could get a job with. And so then, okay, well, I'll just go to law school and figure it out from there. Because they've always wanted to do it, which was my case. Or because they almost felt like they had to for some reason, which sounds more like you, like the parental involvement that, you know, that kind of a thing. And a lot of people, especially those, even those who go in thinking they always wanted it, because a lot of people think they know what the practice of law is, and then they get into it and realize, oh, I didn't really know what this was, and then kind of question it. But there are a lot of people who go by accident or feel like, they had to or were pushed into it and end up like with that, did I choose the right thing? Is this really right for me? And they always have these questions. And I do think people tend to overthink it a little bit. And I, I'm, yeah. it, it's interesting that you are one of those people who are like, yeah, no, but it, if I look back, it actually makes sense and I'm where I need to be and I'm enjoying it. And I actually think you can enjoy almost anything as long as you yeah. ensure that you are in the right cultural fit. Right. And that you are utilizing your strengths in a way that makes sense. And there's a lot of different ways you can do that. Law happens to be one of them. Yeah, totally. The cultural fit is everything. I wouldn't have had a great cultural fit in big law for the long haul. And so that's why I got out of, you know, I was, I would call it more like mid law where I was at. Some people would call it a big firm. Everybody's got a different definition, but I was in a bigger law firm, you know, as a partner with that competitive feeling of, you know, you always got to do more. You always got to do more. You always have to put your job first. And 
I was looking for some more balance. I was looking for, I wanted to work from home. Um, this was pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I, I, my goal at the time was to work from home one day a week wearing sweatpants, like not having to go into the office. I didn't want to have to shower. I didn't want to have to put on makeup. I didn't want to have to put on heels. I didn't want to have to get in my car. <laughs> like I wanted to just roll up to my computer in sweatpants and get on calls with clients, which is what I do now. Um, and that was like a nice shift. So like culturally, I just wasn't in a place where I could do that. You know, a lot of firms are more traditional. They want to see you. Um, and one of the interesting things I learned after getting out of that, you know, that culture was the a lot of the pressure that I thought was coming externally from my firm was actually coming from me internally. And I was yes. like, what? Ah. And so that was like a huge realization, like a light bulb moment. It's like, oh my gosh. And then you feel or I felt somewhat defeated because I'm like, man, like it's in my head. Arg. But that being said, going back to, you know, it needs to be a good cultural fit. Um, it needs to be a good skills fit. Um, I'm, I, I, it's, I get this vibe from you, Heather, that you're really optimistic. I'm, I'm definitely like a very glass half full type person. I'm like, I feel like I could put up with so much pain. Like, you know, I could put up with like a lot and I have, like we have, we have put up with a lot of like, and I'm not saying all the places I was at were bad. Like, you know, most of them were great, but there's some very unique things about the legal industry that like you tell them to other people outside the industry and they're like, that's awful. You have to bill your time in six minute increments. And it's like, yeah, that's how I get paid, unfortunately. Um, but, but there yeah, are benefits there's... too, right? Yeah. So like I've been really – so my husband's not a lawyer and he does consulting work and he goes and consults for Fortune 100 companies a lot of times. And the one thing I've noticed over the 20 plus years that he's been doing this is no matter what client he is currently contracting with, they have a plethora of meetings. They have very little actual time to do the work. And – it would drive me insane to work in a place like that. I could not do it. And I think lawyers need to understand that there are there are drawbacks and benefits to everything. But when you get into the company culture, a lot of that is shuffling around papers and stroking oh. people's egos. And, and, and like, you know, the politics of it, and we think law firms are political, and they are because anywhere that has people, you have politics. It's just, it is what it is. But not yeah. to the same extent a lot of companies are. And, and the other thing I've noticed is the the chain that things have to go up through and the approvals and that just never anything gets done. And, you know, I was like, all I had to do is make a decision on X and ask one person. And usually they'd sign off if I had a good reason and then I could go forward. And I, I was pretty much my own boss. And I told my clients what to do and they actually listened and they would do it. And you tell them and they won't listen to you. They hire and they hire him as a consultant specifically for his opinion on things. And yet they don't 90% of the time follow it, even when they know it's best because they can't convince all the powers that be and all the different lines. And it is crazy. So <laughs> I just had to say that because I think sometimes lawyers, it's funny you said, oh, I, I you're you're a very positive person, I think, and, and you are too. And I, I think a lot of it has to do with the the choice you make about your outlook on how do I make this work and 
how can I make this work better? And, and, and your outlook really is a choice. And I have not always been a positive, everything positive person. Like it took a while for me. Like I grew up as a very negative kid in many ways and over throughout my college and law school years learned to change that. So mm-hmm. for any of you <laughs> who are dealing with that, you're like, man, I wish I could see the world that way, or I wish I could perceive things that way. It's definitely possible. And um, it starts with you acknowledging it's possible so that you can then figure out how to make it work for you. Well, I will give your younger self a big hug, even though she was very negative and that or somewhat more negative than you are now. Um, I there's well, I won't get too far afield, but there's this really cool documentary um, called The Tools by Phil Stutz on Netflix. It has Jonah Hill in it, where they talk about like recognizing your shadow self. And usually it's like a younger version of yourself. Um, I don't want to get too far afield into the woo-woo stuff. But when when you said like, oh, I haven't always been that way. Like, yeah, of course, like we're evolving every day. I think I'm, yeah, I, some people will say, oh, you know, people don't change and you just are who you are at your core. And I don't know if I buy that. I think we do, you know, we're constantly evolving, you know, maybe in a positive way, maybe in a negative way. Correct. But that's why, you know, your podcast and, you know, podcasts like this are so important because it exposes you to that positive energy. It exposes you to a, maybe a different way of looking at things than yeah. you know, what your everyday might be. Yeah. And I just want to make clear, I, I get sometimes pushed back, oh, well, you just make this sound so simple. And yes, it is simple, but simple does not equate to easy. Like it's work. Yes. Simple. The idea is simple. It's it's clear. It's obvious. Like, okay, you, you have a choice. The how do you do it? Well, it's changing long-term habits. It's changing it, all kinds of things. And it's interesting because it's more than that. It's 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 letting go of what others think of you. It's like we had a conversation, and I'll just bring this in here, a little bit of this in here, right before we we hit record around, and this goes to something you said earlier too, around, you know, the big law world and then, you know, people's billables and just how we tend to perceive really the law firms in general, but especially big law or larger law firms. And it's it's about not just breaking the habits, but allowing yourself to really get clear around who is most important to you and whose opinion is most important to you. Because all lawyers are high achievers. And the vast majority of high achievers, we're all type A personalities who tend to be very perfectionist. You said this earlier. And we care a lot about what other, things, what other people think of us. We care mm-hmm. about our reputation. We care. And so we strive to do what everybody else does. And oftentimes, there are ridiculous standards. Yes. And it's, you know, you've got to get to a place where you accept that you've been doing that and you're actually acknowledging you want to change that so that you can change it. And it's really hard to let go, though, <laughs> of yes. those things. This is why coaches like you and me exist, by the way, to help and therapists. And it depends on where you are, what you're struggling with, who can help you most. But you know, I mentioned before we hit record that I have a friend who's – he's logging insane hours. And he makes the comment of, well, it's a good problem to have. No, it's really not. If it's a problem, it's a problem. <laughs> and you and, and he has this typical outlook in big law 
where it's, well, I have no choice. There's just too much work and I've got to do it. Well, no, you don't have to do it all. You can right. actually say no. You can turn down work. And frankly, you probably should because the number of hours you're logging, it's not humanly possible to continue that for a long period of time. I've yeah. known people to end up in the hospital because of that with heart issues and needing heart surgery. And like it actually is that severe. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I just – I think it's really important to kind of point out all of these things that you've kind of like dabbled into, but it's, you know, people need to be realistic about, well, what do I actually want and why am I on this path? And is this what I want? And if it's not, just know you can change it. And it's, I loved what you said that it wasn't so much about the law firm, but about you. This person I'm talking about would probably tell you it's because of his clients. It's because of the firm. It's because it's because of all these other things. Right. No, it's because he's choosing to do too much work. He's choosing to take it on. He's not saying no, and he can say no. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think it comes down to we haven't been taught to take personal accountability for our life choices and, and what those consequences are and to own our power in those moments. And I think it's sometimes our gut reaction just to blame others and to not look, take a hard look at ourselves and to think, look, well, what can I do to change this? And when you're stuck in a pattern, like let's say you're in big law and you're billing, you know, the 2,500 hours a year, um, and you've been doing it for 10 years, you know, that is, that's just your life. And in order, you had a really good comment. It's like, you can make a change, but it's going to take hard work. Mm -hmm. It is a simple change, but it's going to take hard work. And you parse those two concepts out. And it, you know, once somebody's in a pattern of doing that for 10 years, it's easier for them to continue doing that than to make a change. You know, we don't want to make changes. Changes are hard. Changes take work. <laughs> well, here's what's interesting to me, though. And I think this is when I tr finally figured out, because most people who've listened to my podcast for a while, and I don't know if you know my story, most do, I did the thing everybody else did. And I found myself burning out a couple of years in and and really having, you know, questioning why did I ever want this and am I going to continue? And ultimately, I decided it was on me and I needed to change things. But what I realized and what I hope that anybody who's in this place will hear on this, yes, it's hard work to make a change. But guess what? It's really flipping hard work to keep going on as you've been doing. Right. And to keep going on is going to not lead you to ultimate success. And you know this. So why choose that piece of hard work and not try the other hard work that has the opportunity for lifting you out of it? Right. Because either way is still hard. <laughs> right. I, you know, I haven't actually read this book, but I know it's a really popular book for this concept of burning out and it's called The Body Keeps Score. Um, even without reading the book, I think I have a sense of what it is about. And it's, you know, even when we haven't cognitively or consciously realized that our lives are unsustainable in our careers with how much we're working, our body will send signals to us. Um, and I think that when you get stuck in, you know, pattern for so long, you just accept substandard health as like, well, this is just going to be my normal. And I would encourage all of your listeners, you know, to, to recognize what's at stake more from a long-term strategy, mm -hmm. right? And that's how you get yourself out of these patterns is 
through a long-term sustainable strategy to make change and, you know, see a coach like Heather that, you know, you can help them make those changes. I think that's, you know, that's a really positive thing to have as a lawyer because we are so focused on our work that it is very difficult to make the time to commit to making these changes and having somebody who's done it before who can help us through that, who can keep us accountable is, you know, it's critical to do because otherwise, you know, you just, it's easy to get stuck in the same patterns. We all do it. And, you know, that's why these stories of law burnout are just so common because, you know, the industry is set up to, you know, people want to make a lot of money, right? Okay. So you practiced in a a bigger firm. You decided to go out on your own. When did you go out on your own? Four years ago. So Four in 2019. Ago. Yep. Right just before, before pandemic. Okay. Yep. Ooh, so how was it kind of handling the pandemic in your infancy of your firm? It was uh, initially, I kind of had like an oh no moment, like, oh no, how is this going to impact me? I feel like any business owner during that time was just kind of in this weird like Uh uh-oh, like, is this going to be bad or like, what's going to happen? And then we were presented with choices. Like, Mm -hmm. do you keep doing the same thing or do you pivot? How do you pivot? What do you need to do to adapt to the new circumstances? And I'm an employment lawyer. I made the decision in 2019 to start a virtual law firm. And I work with a lot of tech companies and I I modeled my law firm after my tech clients that worked remotely that you know just had everything set up in home offices. So we were ready from a system standpoint for the challenges of virtual work and what I had was a lot of colleagues that were not and it was hard to see them go through that because um you know it takes a lot to set up a virtual workplace it, you can't just snap your fingers and have it all set up let alone during covid when you know you know not a lot of people are working as much as they used to cuz they're taking care of kids at home schools are closed it was just it was a mess um but we were set up from a system standpoint which was great i do employment law and it was one of our busiest years we've ever had and that was you know, I know you said the phrase that your friend said, which was, oh, it's, you know, it's good to be busy. Well, it it's, can be a little much sometimes, you know, <laughs> it's nice to have a balance. And I got burnt out on specific types of cases to where after the pandemic ended, I'm like, I don't want to deal with like, uh, I don't want to see anything to do with vaccines anymore. Like uh, we have been dealing with these regulations going up down, sideways, Supreme Court here. I felt like we were being yanked around a lot from a legal standpoint on like, okay, here's this new law. Okay, read the new law. Now tell clients about the new law and then put a blog post out about the new law, social media. And it was like, it was like trying to drink water through a fire hose. And it's a really great place to be as a legal practitioner to have established case law on the laws you're telling your clients about. And none of this was like, I mean, we had Title VII, which covered the vaccine stuff, uh, you know, religious discrimination, that kind of thing. But I did not ever want to be a religious discrimination lawyer. I did not ever really want to advise my clients on how to fire people for not getting vaccinated. That was not something that like I wanted to do. Right. But it was like kind of like a, a necessary evil at that time in my mind. Um, but I'm so glad to have that behind us um, from an employment law standpoint. I'm glad like that part is over. 
we ramped up quite a bit during that time just because we were so, so busy. So I added a new attorney in 2020. Um, and my husband was furloughed during that time. So he was actually watching my daughter who was out of school, who was four at the time. So that was a blessing in disguise because he now works with me. Um, he quit his full-time job last year and there's no way that would have happened without the pandemic. The pandemic was like our trial run for him helping me out. So now he, you know, he quit his full-time job with benefits last year. That was a huge, huge thing that like didn't oh, yeah. fully sink in at the time. And now it's kind of sinking in like a year later. It's like, oh, we did that. Okay. Um, when I did that, it was hard. Right? <laughs> I was, my husband was always contract and every benefit of my family was through me and leaving the law firm life was hard, but it was the right decision. And and there is, there are options out there. Um, don't get me wrong. They're not great, but <laughs> there are options out there, but it was worth it for us. So it is, it is one of those things though, that you feel like you're kind of like stepping off the cliff when you do it. Right. Yes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, he was at his company for 16 years and it was, Without a doubt, like we have no regrets. He has no regrets. Um, it was a good decision, but at the same time, it is scary. Um, and it's it's that pressure of being, okay, I'm the one that's like supporting three people now. And then also like, you know, when you run a business, I think in the beginning, when you start a business, you're like, oh, I'm supporting these employees. Oh no. But now I'm like, well, they're supporting me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we're, we're all helping each other and we're right. also supporting. I feel like more so we're supporting the clients. Um, but I think when you when you when I first started my law firm, I was very like nervous about having people on payroll and all that kind of stuff. Now I'm like, you know, it took me like two payrolls. I'm like, oh, okay, we're fine. Like we've got right, right. money in the bank, we're good. But it's mindset it is, shift. It is Maybe a mindset now. shift. And it's a mindset shift that I've from what I've seen through my clients uh who do this, it's it takes little time, right? You just gotta step off that cliff and trust that it will be okay and that what is interesting to me in helping lawyers do that is, God, we want every we want to know every next step, right? We want to know what the path for the next ten to twenty steps are. And the truth is, you barely know your next one. Like right. you don't know all of them. And a lot of this is learn as you go, which scares the heck out of most lawyers because we have been trained to be super risk averse, to plan for every contingency, and you just can't. Right. And and it, and it's it's a mindset shift you have to make that you have to embrace or you will not be successful. You will not actually take the risks you're going to have to take and learn the lessons you're going to have to learn. And because some of the risks you're going to take and you're going to later figure out, nope, that wasn't the right thing. But it was good for me because I learned this and now I can apply it moving forward. Right. But it's scary as all get out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I I don't know if you've ever seen like any of the Indiana Jones movies, but Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's a part where he's like going into like across what looks like a, you know, just empty black space, but then when he starts to step, he lands yes. on steps. And so that's what I was picturing when I was launching my firm and as I was building everything, I'm like I like the path will appear. <laughs> You know, whether through, you know, divine intervention or so, I just have to keep the faith. Right. Uh -huh, and uh -huh. um, I don't have to know every single step forward. And I think I don't necessarily gel with clients that need to know 10 billion steps ahead because I'm like, no, 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 no. Like that. We don't need to know that right now. <laughs> like, right. Um, right. 
I, it, and that's why it can be difficult um, working with law firms and working with lawyers because our brains do tend to work like that. Um, but as long as you can explain like, hey, look, here is the best you know, use of your resources like right now is action, really, instead of like overthinking every single next step, it's like, what's our next action step? How are we going to actually get it done as opposed to avoiding any possible problem along the, on the, along the way? Because like when you're running a business, it, it doesn't have to be perfect. And also when you're running a law practice, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. That's why it's called practice, you know? That's right. And, you know, we do, as you said, we overthink everything. And the the truth of the matter is the longer you stay in your head, the more, like, the harder it's going to be to figure out what it is you really want to be doing or what the right next step is or where you're going. You do not get real clarity until you actually take some action. That's what gives you the clarity. And, I know one of my current uh, mastermind clients in in my current mastermind group has been like, that has just been the biggest thing for me, Heather, that you've taught me is clarity is created through action. And it's it's up to me to take that first step. And it's not like I have to take 10 steps at once either. Take the one step, learn from it, figure out what my next, next step is, and just keep going. And the path changes over time, but you're constantly going forward if you do it that way. Right. Absolutely. So when did you start your coaching business and how did that come along? Yeah. So I started it the same year as my law firm. So four years ago in 2019, and I used a business coach, my first quarter of operations, Kara and I worked together my first quarter of law firm operations. And then after that, I felt like I had a lot to say as far as how easy it is to run a law practice compared to working for somebody else in a law firm. Mm. I felt like I thought it was going to be so much harder running a law firm. And it is not that hard in my personal experience. Again, everybody's going to have a different experience. But for me, I was like, wow, this is super easy compared to having to keep you know, all these other people happy and, and fulfill their requirements. And one of the biggest things I realized was even though I was a top performer at at my firm, I was still worried about getting fired because Uh again, I have anxiety. I have high, high performing perfectionistic anxiety, which is a blessing and a curse. And so it's like, you're always worried about like, okay, what am I doing wrong? Like what, you know, you're always kind of like trying to balance multiple plates and trying to keep people happy. And if you're your own boss, it's really liberating. And then you kind of swing to the other side and you're like, Whoa, I don't have a boss. Oh no. <laughs> I need structure. <laughs> ah. So that's why the coaching was really helpful to me. It helped me put some structures in place, helped me put some boundaries up that benefited me. And then I started law practice queen to help female lawyers to help them get more clients. And the thought behind it was throw the rope back to female lawyers that might want to consider starting their own firms. And then even if you don't want to be an entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur is not for everyone, of course, like it Uh just isn't. And so you can also build up a book of business if you're within a firm. And what what I experienced was once you learn those rainmaking skills, you have more power in the legal industry. And once you have more power in the legal industry, you have more sustainability in your legal career. You have more options and you can stay in it longer if you want. And, you know, of course, a lot of women leave the legal industry because they have kids, family obligations, 
they burn out, you know, what have you. And so I was like, if I can, if I can at least show people my journey and how I kind of made it more sustainable for me and then help them with, you know, just a lot of what I do with Law Practice Queen is just telling people about my life. Like, hey, here's what I did. You know, I quote unquote retired my husband. Isn't that cool? You know, like maybe you could do it too. And the thing is, everybody has a different path. So mm-hmm. That's why coaching is great because it's like, you're not telling them what to do. They're coming to you with, Hey, I want more clients. Hey, I want to do this on social media. Can you help me with this branding part that you did on social media? Um, that's, that's something that I can help them with. And so most of what I do with law practice queen is I'll do one-on-one coaching with female lawyers. I've also coached male lawyers, but primarily female lawyers on how to get, how to get more clients for their law practice, how to grow it more, um, how to help them brand themselves on social media. Um, a lot of people see what I'm doing on LinkedIn and they're like, How'd you do that? I want those kinds of likes, those kinds of impressions. And I'm like, well, you know, vanity metrics, they're super um, thrilling in the moment. They make us feel good. They give our brains just that rush of dopamine. But you can make a ton of money online and in your business without these vanity metrics. And they're a little tricky. You know, I... Look, exposure is great, but it needs to be a sustainable business development plan focused on the right things. And so, yeah, one of the things, and I'm sure you work on this with your clients too, but one of the things I focus on people with is like pick one client that you like to work with. Yes. Just one, not 10 billion different types of things and tell everybody all the things. It's like, you know, when I first started marketing myself, I was like, I help tech companies with non-competes, which is like super narrow, but it's super like, niche. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like people have the attention span of a goldfish. So I can't go to them and be like, I'm an employment and business lawyer and I help companies and employees and I also help teachers and blah, 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 blah. It's like people you're never going to get any business that way so, because you're so going to confuse them and they're going to think, no, they don't know my specialized thing that I need help with. People are, we're all selfish. We care about like, well, how do you, how can you help me? And that's not a knock on anyone. That's just how our brains work is like, we're busy. We only have like so many threats to assess in any given day. Um, Here's what I found a couple things that you mentioned that I want to highlight. So number one, I get this all the time too, with my business clients. Oh, I do. um, Especially my litigators. I can litigate anything. I'm a generalist. And I'm like, yeah, I don't care. You've got a niche down. because, And every one of them will bite with me tooth and nail. Then they'll go off and they'll try to do stuff on their own. And then they come back. Okay, you're right. I don't know who to talk to. I don't know what to talk about. I don't, like you got to narrow it down somehow just for your own like sanity or you're all yeah. over the place and you don't know what to talk about on social media or in a speaking engagement or who to target or any of that stuff. So you want right. to narrow down. And what I have specifically seen within my own business, but I've also seen this in other clients' business, when you get really narrow and you get really like consistent, people start to see you as an expert and an authority, right? You put out stuff enough, they start to see you as an authority. And then they start to think, well, she can handle this, she can handle that too. It happens. They don't keep you in that box. Staying in that lane and in that box helps you get noticed and become an expert in their minds. But then all of a sudden, other people will see you more broadly than what you're even advertising. And I see this happen all the time. So 
Do not be afraid to niche down and be super narrow. The other thing that I loved that you pointed out was the social media vanity metrics. It's also going to very much depend on who your perfect client is, who you're speaking to. Because I have noted that certain types of people will follow you like crazy, will love everything you put out, will never like anything, will never say a word. Well, in fact, I know my clients are that way. They will reach out to me. I've been listening to your podcast forever. Have you ever given it a review? No. I've been following you on LinkedIn forever. Oh, I have no clue who they are because they've never liked anything. They've, they've never nothing with my content, but yet they follow it and they love it. And not everybody, a lot of people are lurkers and you may have an audience of lurkers. You never know. The other thing is I, when I first started doing a lot of social media, it worried me how many other quote unquote coaches were getting massive engagement. But then my business coach uh, at the time was like, well, look at who's engaging. And so I did. And I'm like, oh, they're not people, they're fellow coaches. Every one of it, they were felt like these people would have 70, 80, 90, 100,000, some of them. And the vast majority of them would be coaches or people that they're competing with that are always on social media that are also trying to get their stuff ginned up. So they're all like helping one another out, but they're not the people they're actually trying to sell to. Wow. So I don't know how helpful that really is. Now, it can be helpful in the sense that if they're connected to people, that gets you in front of more people, right? And mm-hmm. if they're connected to the right people. So there is some, there is a little bit of like you can think about a strategy around that. But I, it, it made me feel a lot better. So like I always tell my clients, don't worry about the vanity stuff. And also it takes a while to build up. Um, yes. You've got to be very consistent over a very long period of time to get the type of followings that what – for the ones that you're seeing all the time that have massive engagement and followings. Yes. Yes. So, oh, you had so many good points there. So <laughs> to the vanity metrics, yeah, people, people are drawn to this concept of like overnight success, but that's not how, you know, your your the clients that you serve, uh, Heather. You you serve lawyers, right? That's yes. like your bread and butter. So yes. for lawyers, you're not just gonna like go on LinkedIn or wherever and just like build up all these followers overnight. That just doesn't happen. No. Um, and when you see someone have a meteoric rise, there's a lot of work going on in the background that is invisible that we did not see to get them to where they need to go. But with social media, I always try to picture each person interacting with content as like an actual person in an audience, like in a room. And I try to picture myself as a speaker. And if I'm talking like in a conference room or whatever, I picture the people coming and seeing me as like actual people. And if I have 10 people coming in and listening to what I have to say, that's wonderful. And I think we have this, this incorrect view as a society that like, oh, you need, you know, X number of people to like a post before it means something. And I always thought if I impact one person with my content, like, like me, kind of like there, I think there's a concept in Judaism uh, that follows that where it's like, you just need to help one person. I've seen, I've seen that before. And maybe, you know, one of your listeners could help out with that reference, <laughs> but it's like, it's like, you know, helping the one to help us all type mm-hmm. concept. That sounds kind of like it came from star Wars, but well, I don't know. 
The other thing I would say is you don't need the biggest following ever to get make enough, make good money and have good clients. Like you just need to have, have it get in front of enough of your perfect people. And that's probably not that many, especially when it comes to lawyers, you know, Mm -hmm. um, depending on your practice and who you target, whether you're targeting businesses or, you know, individuals or whatever. But, you know, I target individuals and law firms and I don't need, I don't need thousands of people to like my posts to have it get in front of the right people, be seen by the right people, get, you know, I get speaking engagements. I get, you know, people reach out to me all the time and I'm not, I'm not like the hugest, you know, social media. First off, I'm not on it as much as I could be. And that's a choice, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, you don't have to do what everybody else is doing and you can be very successful. So I wanted to get into scaling with you. You must have scaled yourself quite a bit very quickly as you were growing. Yes. So yes. what do you mean by scaling? So scaling is, to me, it means like growing your business, whether you're growing it revenue wise, or if you're adding people to accommodate a higher amount of clients. Mm -hmm. Um, What I help people with is I'll help them add more clients to their practice. I'll also help them add more revenue to their practice and I'll help them increase their exposure online. So you're looking to amplify your message. Um, the whole idea behind law practice queen is like, you're crowning yourself. You are validating yourself. You're establishing yourself as an authority and you are basically proclaiming like, I'm here, like pay attention to what I have to say. So it's a little bit of like a, you know, like you're kind of putting on that persona and like stepping into your power. Mm-hmm. But with, when I say like, oh, I scaled my practice, my law practice, to me, that means I added people. I think that's what a lot of people focus on within the legal industry. Like, oh, how many lawyers do you have? We're obsessed mm-hmm. with firm size. <laughs> um, well, I think some of it though, and and I think, well, I know a lot of it, at least with the clients that I work with, is when they're trying to really grow their firms or grow their practices, there's only one of them, right? And at some point, there's only so much work they can take on. And so in order to right. get past a certain revenue goal, they're going to have to scale from a personnel standpoint as well. Right. And there's this, I'm sure you know this, there's this, this moment where it's like, well, it's not big enough to really afford somebody, but I can't grow past this unless I do. Right. So yeah. what, how do you deal with that problem when people are telling you about that? I don't have enough, I'm not making enough to hire somebody, uh, but I, I can't ever get to where I want to if I don't. <laughs> right. Exactly. I'm, I'm definitely like a fan of like a big, strong push and be like, come on, you can do it. Um, and I try to, what I try to work with my clients on is, is like, what do you want your days to look like? Like get down mm. to that daily level do you want to be going to court and doing the court thing? Do you want to be, you know, working with other employees? Because a lot of practitioners just don't want to add people to their practice. They've tried it, didn't like it. Thank, thanks, but no thanks. I had, <clears throat> I had one of my colleagues who I'm in a mastermind group with other female lawyers who was working every single weekend, late nights for years. And it's like, Life is too short if you don't want to be doing that, right? Life Uh is too short 
to keep doing that. So, and the fear, and it's good to identify the fear with growing, like, what are you worried will happen, right? If you add someone, a lot of people think, well, it's not going to be the same standard of care. I I won't be able to control what their, you know, work product is, all that. And at some point, you have to take the risk on someone and to just take the next best step, which is find the best person you can, train them up, let them go, you know? And that or you have to give up on getting past a certain level because again, one person can only do so much work. And even if you're working most evenings and seven days a week, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, It's just like you can keep working these insane hours, but um, if you want something to change, something's got to change, right? And what you're doing right now, it's like, what's the definition of insanity? Like doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. It's like, there's so much marketing directed at lawyers. It's like time management and like productivity. It's like, I am here to tell all of you, you are great at managing your time. You went to law school and became a lawyer. You took the bar exam, which is timed. Um, You're productive. Like, yeah, you can learn different tricks and stuff. But like after a certain point, there's 24 hours in a day. I'm not going to recommend you like not sleep. Please sleep. Please, for the love of God, sleep. I would say without a doubt, one of the things a lot of my clients come to me, well, it depends on the client, but the ones who come to me saying I have no balance and they almost always say, I need to learn to manage my time better. I need to be more productive with my time. (laughs) And 99.99999% of the time, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with how they're prioritizing their time, the choices they're making, how they're choosing to spend their time whether or not they have boundaries, whether they're saying no when they should be. Like that's the real issue, y'all. If that's your problem, it's not a time management issue. And you gotta you gotta just acknowledge that so that you can finally move on and start figuring out, okay, well, where are my answers? Yeah. But so what would you say when it comes to scaling? Somebody knows they're they're growing their firm or they're growing their practice. It's getting to the point where they know they need more help. They need to scale. What are your top tips? Like what are like what are the steps that you would take somebody through when they're at that point and they're scared but they're willing to 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 move forward with it? Yeah, I mean, you need to identify who are you hiring, right? If you if you're adding someone, I think that place where a lot of people get stuck is who what am I going to add? What does that role look like? Mm-hmm. And so it's like take pen to paper and write down all of the tasks that you don't want to do (laughs) that you would like someone else to do. Um, My, one of the coaches I mentioned earlier, earlier, Kara Allwell, she has a really, really good like list and it's, uh, it's called the, I think it's like the drain energize list in one of her workbooks. Um, And basically the concept is you write down the things that drain you. Um, So if you hate going to court and you're like, I would love it if I never had to step into a courtroom ever again, you know, but you still have to have that litigation piece in your practice. You put the court stuff there in the drain Mm -hmm. list and then energize that column is like, what do you love to do? What gives you energy? Because if you're doing stuff that's draining you all day, that's not sustainable, right? right? You're not going to feel awesome. You are going to probably leave 
the legal industry, which a lot of people do because they're doing draining things all day that they hate. And they're like, life is too short. I'm out. Bye. And I hate to see that after somebody like just got their law degree. It's like, oh, that's so painful. Um, But at the same time, like maybe that path is meant to be for them. So again, no judgment. Everybody has a different path. But going back to your scaling question, so identifying what are the tasks you want someone else to do and then put together a posting, a job post. I think a lot of people are like, they also get stuck in, oh, I need an associate. I need an associate that can handle my stuff and da, 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 da. And it's like, have you put up a job posting yet? Because I have a group, Law Practice Queen Jobs for female lawyers on LinkedIn. And it's like, I can post the job in there for free. Just let me know. And a lot of people get stuck at that moment. I'm a huge fan of maybe getting a recruiter involved. Hmm. If you don't have the skills or the bandwidth to go out and find someone, yes, there is, um, I, I'd have to fact check this percentage, but I be- someone told me yesterday that the unemployment rate for attorneys right now is 2%. And so it is very difficult, let's just say generally, to find good talent right now in the current uh, you know, job market. Mm-hmm. I use a recruiter to staff positions because I've tried doing it, doing it myself. And yeah, there's no way. So I yeah. would also say, I think a lot of times um, I see this with my clients. The first gut reaction is, oh, I have to have an attorney. And oftentimes when we list out And we do the same way where you're talking about it. It's like, okay, what do you not like doing? Where do you need the most help? Like, what do you need to offload the most? And it almost always starts with a really great executive assistant or paralegal because that's what they need the most help with in their current practice. Now, what I see is then once they onboard them, they very quickly (laughs) need help with an attorney because they realize at least what I see with with the attorneys who are in this space, and this is mostly solo attorneys or very small firm attorneys that are really trying to grow a firm. They are doing so much stuff that they should not be doing that is not a lawyer's job that they don't need to be doing that somebody else could be doing so much better for them that they are not capable of spending time on growth activities. And so they're not really growing as fast as they'd like. And so once they get that off of their plate, they're able to then focus on the actual more legal work coming in. And they're amazed at how quickly that can happen. And then they desperately do need associates. (laughs) And you need to go out there and get help. I agree. Don't try to do it unless you have an in somewhere. Um, I do have a client who's able to get an associate pretty easily, but she had an in with some people that kind of gave her this reference. Most attorneys I know need help from recruiters because otherwise it's very hard. And frankly, it is a very time consuming thing to do. And that's there. They can do all the things you need them to do to check out their background, to make sure they have the experience, to do the pre-interviews, to do all that stuff so that you can then just decide, okay, are you really a fit? Yeah. Yeah. I think the biggest challenge that I've seen with scaling overall for me, for any other attorney I've talked to is the quality of the support that they're getting, the quality of the hire and having to deal with bringing someone on who is not a good fit, having to, you know, end that relationship and then having to go out and expend the resources to find someone new. And so 
you know, not that having a recruiter, none of these solutions are, you know, like a panacea for a perfect path forward. You're always going to have, like, people are going to leave your farm, right? They're not going to stay with you for life. You know, that's just not how it works. But you want to try to set yourself up for success. And and that first hire tends to be a pretty difficult one for most people because they haven't done it before. It's unknown territory and they're scared of messing it up. But there's a there's a lot of options short of, like you said, hiring an associate attorney at, you know, 100 grand a year or more. Uh, having contractors is something- I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a matter of what are your needs and what's your budget and what's your personal preference and what what's your client base going to want. Sometimes the 1099s that you can hire are working overseas. And um, with my client base here, I mean, everybody's here in the US. Um, I have- sent clients over to other firms that have that type of administrative setup and mm-hmm. I've not gotten the best feedback because they're like oh the you know the person didn't speak english well or you know I could tell that they were in a different country and there's definitely it, you have to know your client base and yes. like who is going to best support your client base so for me my first hire was a paralegal I had a full-time paralegal um, for, for many years, but I've also done a contract, uh, worker for personal assistant type work for help with social media work. I think it's great to have contractors if you don't need to control how they do the job with the contract help. There is a, there's a lot of benefit to entrepreneurs who are looking to not spend that much. The scope is defined. You, it's something that you don't have the expertise on. Someone else has the expertise on. Um, when it comes to hiring contract lawyers, I I know a lot of people that do it. I haven't tried it myself. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to it. But I think the the challenge is, what are your ethical obligations? Having a contract lawyer, I think you have to be very careful with conflicts checks and what firms yep. are they working for besides your firm? I mean, um, I've always felt much more comfortable having my lawyers under my control. I can control the brand message. I can control how they do the work. Um, we're all meeting together. I know them. I know what type of work product I get from them. Okay. So we, we've taken up a lot of your time. Um, <laughs> are there any other last quick tips that you would like to leave before we let you go when it comes to scaling a law practice? Yeah. So one of the things that came up earlier, I was just writing in my notebook on on different things I could mention for your audience. There's a really good book called Essentialism by Greg McCune. And that book, if you don't have the time to read it, it's totally fine. The main like take-home point that I wanted to mention for your readers from it is growth can be achieved not by taking on more, but by scaling back by limiting your focus. And this kind of concept came up when you were talking about niching as well. But I think with business development, when most lawyers hear the word business development, 
They don't exactly know what direction to go in and they get scattered. I mean, and I, I'm guilty of this too. I think, you know, we get a bright, shiny idea and we're like, I'm going to go do this now. I'm going to start a YouTube channel, which great. If you want to start a YouTube channel, go start that YouTube channel. Like I'm not discouraging you from that, but you just need to understand like, what are you taking on and is it sustainable? And so the essentialism book is great for the concept of if you're going to take on business development activities, do one thing at a time. Um, if you're going to write an article, that's great. Write an article and finish the article before you go on to the next thing. I think yes. you see people with too many irons in the fire and they're getting all these ideas. They're firing off in all these directions. And it's, it's first of all, it's not sustainable. And second of all, it's not consistent and it doesn't show to your audience that you're an expert in any one thing. You're just kind of like putting out all this random stuff. So really focusing on one thing at a time is a great idea for business development. Um, That was a game changer for me personally with Law Practice Queen because I had... I had written a book. I started and stopped a podcast at one point because it was too much work for me at the time. And, you know, I was doing one-on-one coaching. I started group coaching. I was doing everything. It's just, you need to really give yourself permission to stick to your one thing and your path and to put up boundaries around that. And then the other thing when it comes to niching, I know we were talking about, you know, you got to niche down, you got to niche down. What we're talking about with niching is not that you can't take on other cases that come to you. You can take on whatever you want that comes in through your door. It's your law practice. But when you are marketing to a massive audience, you know, you need to niche down so people can think about the fact that when someone is choosing to hire you for something, they need to see your brand message multiple times before they choose to work with you. It has to be repeated. And in order for it for it to reach the person, it needs to be a consistent message of, I can help you. I can help you. I can help you. Here's what I can help you with. Here, it's this thing. This is what I can help you with. Yes. Because otherwise, if you're saying all these different things, it just becomes noise and people tune it out. And so give yourself a fighting chance. If you're doing social media or if you're sending a newsletter, if you're writing articles, pick one thing at a time, pick one ideal client at a time to focus on. And you can always go broader and you can always take the cases that come to you that are outside your practice area. You can do whatever you want. Like life is short, do the things. We're not saying don't don't do other practice areas, but if you're a litigator and you know, you say, well, I can do any type of litigation. Okay. Pick your favorite case, pick your absolute favorite case, and then talk about that favorite case until your face turns blue. And then Uh guess what? You're probably going to get more of that favorite type of case coming in the door until people know, Hey, this is Heather. She does non-compete law, you know, or this is Katie. She does employment law in Virginia. You know, it's, you're trying to create the brand building is creating a an association with between your name and what you do well. Um, and and so that'll never are- happen if you're all over the place because people exactly. will just tune it out and won't know who you're even talking to. They will definitely think you're not talking to them, even if it's the perfect client. Yeah, I mean, it could happen. It's just, it's going to take longer. And I'm a fan of, yeah, I mean, I know that chances are it will take some time to build up your brand. You know, it will take some time to build up your content. It will take some time to build up your client base. But sometimes, you know, 
you you put these principles into motion and you'll see some fast, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that you can be quickly blessed, you know, by the universe. It's, it's happened before it'll happen again. And so with Heather's tips and then with my tips, it's like, you want to, you want a good amount of ROI return on investment coming out of your very limited time. So yes, do yourself a favor and just limit it, have your ideal client target that ideal client or that ideal case and, and have fun with it. Take the pressure off. And, and I'll, I'll just say, what you're saying here to make this super clear, niche down in how you're targeting and who you're targeting, right? For a bit, be super specific in whatever it is you're doing. And then also focus on one main thing or two little things that you're doing. You do not have to speak at 10 different places in one year, along with writing for six different publications, along with networking at an event every week. Like you don't need to be doing all that. And I see that and I see people doing that and they get no work because they don't like, first off, if you're networking, you got to be following up. That's like the biggest thing in, in networking. It's not about going to the events. It's about meeting the right people and then actually following up with them and creating a relationship. That's how you get new business. Yes. You're not going to do that if you're doing all those things. <laughs> you won't have time. So narrow down, not just who you're targeting and how you're targeting, but also the how you're targeting. Right. So that you're not spreading yourself so thin and you don't look like you're just like scattershot, as I think you said earlier, which a lot of my clients, when they first come to me, that's what they're doing. And that's their big problem. Right. Right. Yeah. Make it easy as much as possible. Make it easy. I'm <laughs> a definite fan of ease. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. I know listeners are going to get so much out of this, more than I even anticipated coming in. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, where can people find you? So I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me. My profile's Katie Lip, and it's L I P P with two P's. You can follow me there. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at Law Practice Queen. Um, those are LinkedIn and Instagram are probably the two main places I hang out online. Okay, great, everybody. I will have links to all of the places where you can connect with Katie in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thanks, Heather. Thank you for listening to the Life and Law Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode and aren't yet a follower or subscriber, be sure to hit the follow and or subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. For show notes and free resources to help you succeed in both life and law, including the Life and Law Roadmap, visit lifeandlawpodcast.com.